guys ever um, signed something before and you had no idea what you were signing? Like you put your name on the dotted line and then you thought like, what is this? Like maybe you were closing for, for your first house and uh, they, they came in with like 127 documents and they're just like, we've marked everything for you. You just need to sign here, 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 here. And you're just so excited that you're just signing. And you're not really reading what you're signing, you're just signing. And eventually you get to page like 37 and you go, what is this? What am I signing? Because there's part of you that worries a little bit, that you're signing something that you shouldn't be signing. Maybe you've been online before and you've signed up for something. Maybe you said, I want to get an iTunes account. And so you go and you type it in the computer and you go to sign up and you see that little box on the bottom that says, you know, agree to uh, terms of service or agree to terms of use or whatever the case may be. And, and you go to click it and it won't let you click it. And it won't let you click it because you haven't read through the terms of agreement. And so you start fumbling through all 37 pages. And you're not reading a thing. You're just trying to get through it so you can click the box. Right? Have you done that before? I've done that before. I've signed things. I didn't realize what I was signing. I've agreed to things that I didn't even really know that I was agreeing to. I could owe people stuff and I don't even know it. Like my kids are going to find out about it someday. And so sometimes we sign up for something and we don't really realize what we're signing up for. Well, today we're going to talk about a group of people uh, who signed up for something and we're going to talk about what they signed up for. We are in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 10, Nehemiah chapter 10. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Nehemiah chapter 10, if you are late to the story, uh, God's people had been scattered about. Nehemiah goes uh, to the king of Persia, King Cyrus, and says, hey, can my people go back to Jerusalem? We want to build a wall around the city. He gets the thumbs up. He goes back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the wall in such a short period of time. The people gather together. They hear the word of God read. They are convicted by it. They're broken over it. They repent. They cry out to God. And then in Nehemiah chapter 9, at the end of Nehemiah chapter 9, there is this recommitment to follow the Lord, right? So in essence, they're looking back at the Old Testament covenant that God had with his people, and they're going, hey, we want to follow after God. And so Nehemiah chapter 10 kind of lays out what that looks like and what it means. And so I want us to think together about it this morning, and specifically uh, for uh, the men who are here, the dudes, the dads, uh, I want you to think about what it was that these people uh, were signing up for because they talk about three very practical things. Uh, they talk about marriage, uh, they talk about work, and they talk about money. Right? Marriage, work, and money. Do you guys ever think about those things? Okay, I guess not. We're just going to close in prayer and we're going to roll out. I think about those things. I think about them and you should think about them too. So listen, Nehemiah chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. If not, uh, the passage will be up on the screen uh, for you. Nehemiah chapter 10, uh, really verses 1 through 27, just list a bunch of people who are signing this agreement. Right? This is a list of all the people who sign their name on the dotted line, and they're like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm going to follow after the Lord. And then we get to Nehemiah verse uh, 28 and Nehemiah chapter 10, and it says, the rest of the people... The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, 
All who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given to Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. And so it's, it's hard to see right there when you read through that, but uh, what's taking place is God's people, uh, the Israelites, are signing, uh, recommitting their lives to a relationship with God to follow after him. Uh, but the coolest thing in this, uh, these couple verses right here is we read that it, it wasn't just the Jews. It wasn't only uh, God's people. If you notice, there, there were others who were invited to the party, right? There, there's the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers and singers, the temple servants. And then it says, and all who have separated themselves from the people of, uh, of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding. So in other words, there's a, there's a, a gate that is, is wide open for people to come and follow after the Lord. And so now they're going to talk about what does it look like to have a relationship with Yahweh? What does it look like to have a relationship with God? And he's going to talk about these three areas, marriage, uh, work, and money. Marriage, work, and money. The first thing that I want us to notice is that God cares about who you marry. God cares about who you marry. If you are here this morning, uh, and you are single, if you're a student, if you're a little older, and uh, you, you have not yet, you're not yet married, I just want you to know, God cares about who you marry. Verse 30 says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters uh, for our sons. In other words, the author was saying, we want our daughters uh, to marry men of faith. We want our daughters to marry men who know and love the Lord. We want our sons uh, to marry women uh, who know and love the Lord. When Scripture talks about giving our daughters to the people of the land, this was not an issue of elitism or uh, racism or nationalism. This was a faith issue for God's people. He said, as you go and look for a spouse, look for someone who knows and loves the Lord. A few months ago, I was putting Amelia to bed, and we have a, a, a routine that we always go through. If she's supposed to be at bed at a particular time, um, she usually uh, is a little late uh, getting into bed at that particular time. Uh, she'll think of things that she hasn't yet done that she needs to do, like brush her teeth or, um, or, or say her prayers. I'll come in her room, and I'll pray for her. And I was sitting on her bed this particular uh, night, just getting ready to pray for her. Uh, and she looked up at me, and out of the blue, she asked me this question. She says, Dad, is it okay uh, if I marry a man with dark skin? And I thought, this is a teachable moment. This is a teachable moment. And so I gathered myself, because I knew she may remember this years from now. And so I reminded her, sweetie, when you turn 35 and you are allowed to date, said yes absolutely like absolutely and then she said very quickly after that she didn't even pause she said it it only matters that he loves jesus and i said it only matters that he loves jesus 
And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at my little girl, and I'm thinking to myself, if you leave the house with that, like that's going to be a winner. Like you, you look for a man who knows and loves the Lord. And then there's just massive freedom. And so that's my prayer for my daughter. God cares about uh, who we marry. He wants us to, to, to marry people who know and love the Lord. If you are here this morning and you are a student, uh, you are not yet married. Maybe you are a dude who is here and you are just getting to the point in your life when you're starting to think about those things. I want you to know if you uh, meet a girl someday and she is uh, smart and intelligent and she is beautiful and she loves the things that uh, you love and, and she, she loves uh, your friends and she loves uh, the things that you enjoy doing on the weekends and she is not bothered by the fact that you like uh, to play golf or watch a three-hour football game or hang out with your friends on the weekend and you think to yourself, she is perfect. If you meet someone like that and she does not know and love the Lord, do not marry her. She's not the woman for you. If you are a young lady who is here this morning, or if you are a woman who is here this morning, and you are single, uh, and you meet someone who you think to yourself, this uh, could be the man of my dreams. Uh, this could be God's gift, not only to the planet, but to me. Right? He's, he's cute. He's handsome. He wears a Patagonia t-shirt and drives a Jeep. He loves the music that you love to listen to. He writes love songs and poetry and sings them to you. And he wins over your heart. I want you to know if he does all of those things, but he does not know and love and have a relationship with God, do not marry him. God cares about who you marry. And so dads, let me challenge you. If you have children who are not yet married, right, you are raising them a prayer that you can pray for your kids each and every day is, God, I pray that you would provide a godly spouse for my son or for my daughter. I pray that my son uh, would meet and marry a godly woman. I pray that my daughter uh, would meet and fall in love with a godly man. Listen, marriage is tough. It's difficult. It's not uh, easy sailing. Right? And so you want to know that the person uh, that you have signed up to spend the rest of your life with knows and loves God because you are going to be desperate uh, for him to move and act in your relationship. Right? God cares about who you uh, marry. He cares about who you marry. The second thing that we're going to notice in this text is that uh, how uh, you work and how you rest is primarily a faith issue. Right? How you work and how you rest is primarily a faith issue. Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 31 says, And if the people of the land bring in goods or grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Uh, what was taking place here is that non-Jews were, uh, were, were present around the Jews and they viewed the Sabbath differently. 
right? So, so foreign traders would come in and they, in essence, made available a loophole to the law. Like they would come in on the Sabbath and sell stuff. And God's people, the Jews who were to honor the Sabbath, would see what they were doing and they would think to themselves, well, we, I mean, we're not working. It's not us who's buying the goods. And so they thought that there was some freedom there to break their Sabbath laws uh, and, and to kind of do what they wanted to do. And so here in Nehemiah chapter 10, there's this uh, reminder that, no, they are to honor and keep the Sabbath. In fact, in the Old Testament, to not keep the Sabbath was to put yourself uh, at risk of death. And it was a capital offense in order to break the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was uh, an issue not of, of simply following rules and regulations. The Sabbath was ultimately an issue of faith. Because right? God was calling the people to ultimately rest in Him. Uh, he wanted the people to be taught that you can work for six days and then you can shut it down and not accomplish. You can be still and the God of the universe has got it. Right? In other words, the, the, the world and the success and the advancement of the world is not dependent upon you. Now, many people look back to the Old Testament and go, well, clearly we're not under the Old Testament law now. Jesus Christ has come. He's fulfilled the law. And some people uh, debate and question, okay, well, what does the Sabbath look like for us? What does it look like uh, for you and for me to work and uh, to rest? I think Romans chapter 14 kind of gives us a, a, a picture, an accurate picture of how we can respond to this idea of what the Sabbath should look like uh, for you and for me. Romans Chapter 14, verse 5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 7 reads, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, uh, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be uh, Lord both of the dead and of the living. And so, I don't know if you noticed, the, the first part of that passage, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he's telling them, listen, on this particular issue, and I believe he's talking about the Sabbath here, on this particular issue, if you're a Sabbath keeper, like if you're someone who you're like, you're like, hey, we shut down on the Sabbath. We're, we're not doing any work. Paul says, cool. Like, good for you. And if you're someone who looks at all of the days of the week and says, no, it's, it's not just that one day that's holy and set apart. It's each and every day. Paul goes, Okay, like settle in your heart how you are going to work and rest and then be okay with it. Like there's, there's freedom there. Uh, Colossians 2 verse 16 says that no one should be taken captive in regard to a Sabbath day. And no one should be taken captive. In other words, you don't have to be influenced by the people who are sitting around you or the people who you are watching. Determine in your own heart what that looks like for you, and then live it out. 
Like I, I personally think that Scripture teaches us that there should be some sort of work, a rest, rhythm to life. There should be times where we work hard, and then times when we rest well. And if we are someone who sits behind a desk every day, uh, then when we are there, we should work hard. We should, we should get her done. We should come home tired at the end of the day. And then when it comes time to rest, we should rest. Maybe rest for you looks like going outside and playing or exercising or working out or going to the park or hanging out with your kids. But you, you do what energizes you and gives you life. If you are someone who grinds it out every day, if you're working construction, if you're working with your hands uh, and you are tired, maybe rest for you is putting your, putting your feet up, like watching a game and, and being still. But I think we see this this principle taught throughout Scripture that as the people of God, we should work hard and we should rest well. So dads, if you're here this morning, let's model this for our children. Let's model it for our kids. When we go to work, let's come home tired. Be, be exhausted at the end of the day. Know that you worked hard. But then when it comes time to rest and to be still, like rest. Be still. And be present. Right? Our work and our rest is primarily a faith issue because we're trusting the Lord. We're trusting that God's going to provide for us if we work hard. Or we trust that God's still in control if we rest and we're not accomplishing or producing. And that can be a challenge for me. Is it a challenge for you? Do you ever feel like there's always one more thing to accomplish? There's always a little bit more that you could do at the end of the day? Sometimes it's difficult for me just to shut it down and to put it away and go, no, it, it, it is what it is. It's enough. Like, that's fine. Dads, I want to call us uh, to model this as a church family. Work hard and rest well. The third thing that we notice in Nehemiah chapter uh, 10, this recommitment that the people of God made to God was not only this reminder that they should uh, pursue a spouse who knows and loves the Lord. It wasn't just a reminder that they should work hard and rest well, uh, but it also was a call to live a generous life. Look at Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 32. It says, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. Uh, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. If you were to continue reading through chapter 10, it just would lay out the expectations that people had uh, as they thought about giving to the temple. The temple was the place where the people would come and meet uh, with God, the, the presence of God was uh, in that place.